Hello and welcome to Disseminate the Computer Science Research Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Wardby. Today we've got another instalment of our CIDA series, and I'm really happy to say that I'm joined today by Yang Wang, who will be talking about his paper, Developers' Responsibility or Databases' Responsibility, Rethinking Concurrency Control in Databases. Yang is an assistant professor at the Ohio State University, and he's currently on sabbatical at Meta. His research interests are distributed systems, in particular fault tolerance, scalability, and performance optimizations. And obviously, he is interest, interested in databases as well, hence the, hence the paper we are going to be talking about today. So, Yang, thank you very much for, for joining us on the show. Thank you for organizing this. Uh, I'm very happy to have this uh, opportunity and have the chance to share my research with others. Fantastic. It's our pleasure to have you. So let's let's jump right in then. So can you maybe tell us a little bit about your background, about yourself, and how you became interested in, in researching distributed systems and databases? Okay, okay. So uh, I got my bachelor's degree in computer science from Tsinghua University in China and also master's degrees from there. Then uh, I joined the University of Texas at Austin for my PhD degree uh, under the advising of Dr. Magdalene and Lorenzo Alvisi. Uh, then after I graduated, I joined the Ohio State University as an ass- assistant professor. Okay. Uh, regarding why I'm interested in distributed systems and the databases, uh, I think usually that's a hard question because sometimes you just cannot explain your interest, right? So it's just you, you're interested in something, then yeah, you're interested. Okay. Uh, I would like to say that uh, you know uh, I like those things because. So first, they involve challenging problems, right? If you look at the concurrency control, if you look at distributed pro- protocols, uh, some of them are probably among the most uh, intellectual challenging problems, uh, in my opinion. And also, databases and distributed systems serve as the you know foundations of today's you know IT infrastructure in both you know big IT companies and even those university infrastructure and something like that. Okay, so they are challenging and important. I think those are the major reasons why I chose to. You know, pursue research in these directions. Fantastic. Yeah, I just echo that sentiment. Like they're, they're the sort of things that attracted me to these areas as well. I mean, like you said, there's there's so many interesting problems in this space, and there's like there's enough like interesting stuff there to keep you occupied for a lifetime, right? So, uh, right, yeah, right, right. definitely, yeah, uh, definitely agree with you on that one. Cool. So let's let's talk about the paper then. So, de- developer's responsibility or the database's responsibility, rethinking concurrency control. So maybe you can just give us the elevator pitch for this work, and maybe highlight the questions you were your research questions and what you're trying to answer with this work. Yeah, okay, okay. So I can start from the from the background, especially, you know, if the audience are not very familiar. I know you are very familiar with this field, but let's assume some audience probably are not very familiar with this field. So uh, I think a CS student probably starts to, you know, get touched to a SQL database, probably in undergraduate courses, okay? Uh, so when you get into that course, you will learn that uh, you can write a transaction which involves multiple SQL statements, okay? And if you go a little di- deeper into that, you know that databases can execute multiple transactions in parallel to get a best performance. Then, of course, the question is, uh, you know, if different concurrent transactions interleave, what is going to happen? Especially if you have learned, uh, you know, multi-threaded programming and locking before, you know that uh, you know multiple concurrent things executing in parallel is a is a is a painful problem. Okay, but during your undergraduate course, uh, your instructor probably will tell you that a database provides this very nice property called a serializable. Uh, it basically says that uh, if you execute multiple concurrent transactions, 
their behaviors will be equivalent to some serial execution of them. Okay. So in other words, you don't need to worry about concurrent transactions at all. Okay. It will be equivalent to some serial execution. Okay. This is called serializable. That's a very nice property. Uh, and you know that when you are writing one transaction, you're not going to worry about what other transactions are doing in the meantime. Okay, very nice property. I'm very glad to hear that. Uh, at that moment, I believe, you know, that address all my problems, okay? And then even during my PhD, uh, I, I work on topics about, uh, you know, how to improve the performance, how to improve various things of, uh, you know, executing serializable transactions. Okay, that's a, even to today, that's still a pretty hot research topic. But then, uh, once the multiple papers, uh, some kind of studies, they kind of tell me that, uh, you know, in reality, many people are not using serializable transactions, okay? So they are using something weaker called, uh, the typical examples include read committed and snapshot isolation. Those are the most two, the two most common, you know, we call it weaker isolation levels provided by popular databases, okay? Uh, I don't want to go into the details about what's the difference between them and so on. So in short, uh, when you are using weak isolation levels, then you are going back to the old days that you have to worry about the interleavings. You know, some kind of interleavings will give you unexpected result. Uh, we probably will go through some examples. Uh, then you need to go back to all the painful problems of risk conditions, well, whether I need to add a locking somewhere to put something in a critical section or something not. Okay. Then all the problems comes back. Then the question to me is that uh, why? Okay. Now we have this really nice word with serializable transactions. You don't need to worry about anything, but uh, there's a lot of research on that. Okay. Uh, but why are people not using that? And uh, if that's a fundamental reason, then maybe that has an impact on our research, right? So if people don't like serializable transactions, then maybe that's something we can address. Or if it's really not addressable, then then maybe we need to research something else, right? So that's, uh, I think, the big motivation for this problem, okay? So basically, I want to understand that is it really possible to let a database handle everything about a concurrency? Or is it like the real world? Is it like what happens in the real world that uh, you know developers still have to worry about a concurrency? And then what is the separation between the database and developers? Okay. Uh, I think that's the big questions we want to answer in this work. Okay. Fascinating stuff, yeah. Um, really interesting questions you're trying to answer. So, I mean, I... You did to sort of like answer this question and explore these questions. You did a study, right? So, yes. can you maybe tell us a little bit about the study and the way you designed the study? Okay, okay. Uh, so, in this work, the first part of this paper is to study what really happens in real-world open-source, you know, database applications. Basically, uh, you know, what kind of isolation levels are people using, and uh, if they are using weak isolation levels, or some of them don't even use transactions, they, they, call, they use something called ad hoc transactions, okay? Uh, if they're using those weaker or ad hoc transactions, uh, are they meeting any correctness issues caused by the weak isolation level, okay? Uh, and uh, when they meet, if they meet those problems, how do they fix that? 
Okay, and uh, even more interestingly, so why are they reluctant to use a serializable database? Okay, uh, so those are the questions we listed as a detailed question. So what we really do is that uh, we go through the issue of bug reports of open source repositories. Okay, uh, we search for issues uh, related to comparison control in databases. Well, that's actually a painful procedure. We can go to more details if you want. Okay. Uh, then yeah, we, sure. we could maybe talk about that later on, yeah, when yes, we speak yes, about yes. some of the, uh, the yes, difficult yes. aspects of this work. But yes, yeah, for sure. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. yes. That, that's always the painful part of uh, you know study work. Okay. Uh, so after we found them, uh, we manually read them. Okay, to understand uh, what are the root causes of the problem, how people fix that problem, and if they leave any comments about uh, you know. Uh, why they prefer weak isolation or ad hoc synchronization, ad hoc transactions, and so on. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's basically the methodology we use uh, in this work. Cool. Yeah. So, I mean, are there any limitations to this approach at all? I mean, was the alternative ways you considered when designing this, or was this sort of the obvious and best path, you think? Uh, as I said, it's a, it's a painful process. Okay. Mm. So, I would say there are two limitations of the work. Okay. So, first, uh, obviously, we cannot, you know, read everything. Okay, there are so many bug reports about open source applications, so we cannot read everything. So we try to do some search based on keywords. Okay, but it turns out that uh, it's really hard to find the, the right keyword because, you know, people sometimes just call the problem risk condition. Okay, so which is indistinguishable from a multi-threaded risk condition and. Uh, and multi-threaded risk condition happens much more frequently than database issue. It's really hard to find the right keyword to search. So our final strategy is that we search for issue report, which includes both, which includes keywords from two fields. One field is regarding concurrency, like a risk condition, you know, locking, uh, concurrency, and something like that. Uh, another field includes uh, keywords from databases, like a database, SQL, transaction, something like that. So we finally uh, basically only look at bug reports, which includes keywords from at least one keyword from each group. So your heuristic solution, we may miss something. Uh, so that's one limitation of our work, okay? Uh, the other limitation, and that's something we really like to do, is to see what happens in industry. Like what happens in, for example, Oracle? or Microsoft SQL Server, okay. Uh, uh, we tried, but that's really a hard job because there are always privacy concerns, right? So, you know, Oracle is, you know, there are users using it. We cannot do a study about the users' transactions that are privacy concerns, okay? That, that's a that's a much painful job, okay? Uh, even during some informal, right, conversations with, uh, with uh, like Microsoft people, we find that, uh, the quick answer is nobody knows the exact answer. Okay, nobody knows the exact answer. Okay, so that's something we really like to do. Okay, if anyone industry has the resource or has interest to do that, we, we really would like to see a similar study. Okay, that's a that's a second limitation. Oh, you could see the future direction. Cool, cool. Um, that's that's interesting. If anyone's listening and has has access to um, <laughs> congruency bug reports from their their systems, please do please do reach out. Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, great stuff. Yeah, um, yeah it's interesting on the um, so these online applications that you said, like 
what sort of like how many different databases did these these, mm. these applications use? Like what's the sort of the and also the domains across of these open source applications? Was it very wide reaching? Most I would say a majority of those uh, applications are what we call e-commerce applications, right? Online shopping, you know, uh, accounting or something like that. Uh, but there are a few exceptions. I remember one of them is about uh, a gaming server, okay. Uh, and there are some about uh, you know social networks or something like a wiki, okay. They uh, they use database as backends as well. But I think the majority of them are like uh, e-commerce, okay. Okay, cool, cool. So let's let's talk about the consequences and the things you found from this um, from this study. So, can you maybe first tell us about some of the the data inconsistency issues you you found? Yes, data inconsistency is the most common you know issues we find, and that's I would say not surprising. Okay, so uh, maybe let's go back to the weak isolation to see why these things happen. Then I think you can have a better understanding about uh, you know what they really cause. Okay, so let's give a very simple example. Let's say you have a transaction to first read some count. Let's say how much money you have. Okay, okay. Or, or let's say let's uh, let's say you want to buy something online, and your transaction will first check whether there's still sufficient count in stock. Okay, uh, you probably will do it with a select and then do an if. Okay, and then if the amount is sufficient, usually you deduct some number from the account, and uh, that's it done. Okay, that's a, that's a very simplified. You know, purchase transaction online. Okay, so when you execute them, let's say you have multiple people trying to buy the same thing at the same time. Okay, so if you have several liable transactions, then there's no problem. You know, some of them will get what they want, some of them probably will not, but they will get an honest answer. Okay, but let's say when you use a move to a, another very popular isolation level called read committed, read committed will allow your select or your check to execute in parallel first. Okay. So that leads to a classic uh, phenomenon like a risk condition. Basically, everyone checks at the same time. They all find uh, there are sufficient amount of uh, you know, items in the stock. Okay? Then when they do the deduction, you will find uh, probably that's not enough. Then the final count will become negative. Okay? That's, that's, a, that's a very classic risk condition problem. But now if you use read committed, it could also happen uh, in your databases. So... Let's say if I'm a company like Amazon, I sell things and I use a really committed database. What could happen is that I may oversell my items. Okay, I may have 10 items in stock, but if everyone checks in parallel, I may sell to 100 customers. Okay, so let's call it overselling. Okay, or uh, let's say if you uh, you know save some money in the account, it could also cause a problem called double spending. Basically, I can try to spend my money at the same time to buy two different things and the system will let me pass okay and leaving me with a negative account number okay this is called double spending or if uh, your system have something like a coupons uh vouchers uh and if the customer is smart enough it they can use it more than once okay by issuing concurrent transactions at the same time so this is called double spending uh, you know, overselling, those are classic problems which are caused by the data inconsistency issues, okay? Uh, another very classic is called uh, ID problems, okay? So uh, most of these companies want to ensure that uh, when you have an order, you have an order ID, okay? And the order ID should be unique so that uh, we can track what happens with each order, okay? Uh, but again, if you use a really committed database, it is possible that, uh, you know, two orders will get the same ID, 
and then everything will mess up. You may get things from another order, or, or you, your item may go to another order. Okay. So it's hard to predict what could happen. So those are the, I think, uh, most common you know, data inconsistency issues we have observed. Nice. So, so out of, I think you say in the paper that you found like 93 bugs, I think it is, if I'm remembering correctly. So yes. of, of, the, of those, how many were related to data inconsistency? Uh, 78. Okay, so that's sort of the lion's share almost of issues were around yes. inconsistency yeah. because you also define like another category of, of issues, right, that you've identified as unavailability. Uh, they usually cause the process or, or the database to crash, but doesn't cause really, uh, doesn't cause your data to be wrong. Okay, so common issues like, uh, uh, you know, if you have two delete transactions deleting the same row, Okay, one of them will throw exception. Okay, and if you don't catch that, then your process will crash. Okay, and sometimes deadlock is another possible reason. Okay, uh, those I would say they are not specific to weak isolation levels. Okay, uh, even if it was a serializable database, uh, some of those issues could happen as well. That just says, you know, even with a serializable database, a small amount of these problems will still happen. So. Uh, developers still need to be careful about some aspect of concurrency control, okay? But some of them are written, okay? Cool. And so I guess the question that kind of follows from this is then, of these issues that, that you identified, how, how severe were they? How bad were they? Okay, that's actually the most interesting question we find, okay? Uh, so maybe still, uh, let's go back to the history a little bit, okay? So, I mean, the problem with uh, weaker isolation levels are pretty well-known. People know that they could cause data inconsistency issues, right? So, you know, it's a risk condition. It could happen. Okay, so far. But many people are still willing to use that. So, one question there is that, do those issues really happen? Okay. Because maybe, you know, most open source users probably don't really have a very high support, right? So, you probably get a few orders every day if you are just a startup, right? So, uh, maybe those things risk conditions don't happen at all. So that's a guess, okay? Uh, but at least from our study, we find, uh, at least for some people, those are not true, okay? We see that uh, common thing. One guy said the, this problem happened five times over the past few months uh, in a total of 10,000 orders. So if you have 10,000 orders in five months, uh, that's really not a lot, right? So your system is... Idle most of the time, but those issues still happen. Okay, uh, our guess is that uh, you may have some uh, kind of a burst of incoming orders at the same moment in a short amount of time. So the short answer to your question is that uh, it is more severe than we expected. Okay, so at least I would expect that for a person with you know tens of orders every day, this should not be an issue. But it seems that it's it could still be an issue at sometimes, okay? But if you ask me what are the real, you know, financial costs to them, uh, none of them provide that data, okay? So I, I cannot answer that directly, sorry. Since they complain to the developers, that must be an issue for them, okay? Yeah, <laughs> that's true, yeah. That's interesting that even with sort of what we'd sort of think of as being a uh, quite low, uh, well, not low, but like not, 
uh, like you can't really imagine 10,000 orders, for example, generating like the sufficient level of contention or stuff. But I mean, like I said, if the workload's quite bursty, then that kind of, I guess, could could be an explanation for, for that. But yeah, yeah uh, that's, 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 a, that's a really good point. So there's kind of, the, I know in, in, your, in your paper, you then sort of like break down the causes of these bugs. And then it's like you, you categorize them into six different categories. So maybe we could run through these categories and you could tell us about um, what they are, right? Right, right. Okay, okay. So the first one is similar to the example I just described. Okay, and actually that's the most common issue among all the 93 issues. Uh, 52 of them are caused by that. So basically, uh, that's a very common pattern. As I said, you, you have first have a select a statement to check something, and if the check passed, uh, uh, you do update. Okay, so we call it a read followed by write. Okay. Uh, and if you do those kind of transactions on a read committed database, uh, you are almost guaranteed to have some issues uh, if you have a high level of concurrency. Okay, uh, so it can be further broken down into two types, but I think I will not go into details here. Okay, so if you're interested, you can always read the paper. Okay, but that's the most common pattern to cause issues, especially when using read committed. Okay. So the second category is uh, inappropriate error handling. Uh, that's related, mostly related to the unavailability issues we have discussed. Okay, so if concurrent transaction could throw an exception and you don't handle that, okay, that's an issue. Okay. The third issue is a lock timeout. Uh, that's usually caused by caused by deadlocks or too many concurrent transactions. Okay. Uh, again, that's not something specific to concurrency control, but the most interesting thing we find for this problem is that sometimes people argue that to reduce the timeout or, or to reduce the locking time, we should use a weaker isolation level, okay, even weaker. Okay, uh, one common, for example, saying the default isolation level is a repeatable read. Okay, uh, then the developers argue that we should move it to read committed to reduce locking times to to remove this lock timeout problem. Okay. That's Pretty interesting. The other issues I think uh, they're pretty minor, so I maybe not go through them here because they only happen to two or three lines. Okay, but the last category is a big one because there are some issues, uh, twenty-two issues we have not been able to identify the exact root cause. Okay, uh, because some reports are still open. Okay, uh, and sometimes people fix problems in ad hoc ways, just to say I disable that, disable that. I change a little bit here, then problem disappear. Okay, fine, good. Okay, but then you don't know the exact root cause. Okay, so yeah, some issues fall into this category, so we don't know the exact answer yet. So in short, you know, read followed by write is still the most common pattern to cause problems. Okay, cool. Yeah, so those those are the there's a majority of that's the majority cause for mostly. So that's interesting. So like, how you you alluded to it a little bit there, um, when you discussed like the the other category, like the unresolved sort of um. Uh, issues you found but what sort of i guess like how how do developers go about fixing these bugs that they found how, how did you observe like the approaches that they use to fix these bugs yes, other than yeah. just like turning something off <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's actually i think how to fix the issue the answer to that from our study is the most surprising part of our study uh the short answer to that question is that uh, People don't have a unified solution to that. Okay, different people use different solutions. 
uh, many of them are very ad hoc, and uh, some of them even contradict with each other. Okay, they, they follow different philosophies. So uh, maybe again, let's start from history a little bit. Okay, so as we said, it, it's not a new problem. People are aware that uh, you know there are, could be consistent issues caused by weak isolation levels. Uh, at early days, uh, some people's argument is that it's fine. We can let them happen. Okay, then we fix them manually. If you talk, if you think about the overselling issues, right? You know, it could happen to Amazon, right? It uh, could happen to an airline. An airline actually do that deliberately, right? So uh, the oversell issues, okay. But then when problems really happen, what do they do? Amazon will send you an apology email saying, "Sorry, it runs out of stock." They may give you some compensation, like a voucher or something. Like that. Uh, the airline will say, "Okay, so if you're willing to give up your seat, we will give you." A couple of hundred of dollars. Okay, so those problems can be fixed manually. Okay, and uh, it doesn't have to have a technical solution. Okay, so those are the arguments from early days. I mean, that makes sense to me. Okay, that makes sense to me. Uh, but in our study, we find uh, the answer is very different. Uh, for the ninety-three issues, only one issue discussed this what we call business solution. Okay. And it's not clear whether they finally adopted it. So in the open source field, uh, people are, at least from our study, we conclude that people are not happy with those business solutions. Okay. Uh, we don't know the exact answer reason yet, but our guess, or from what we look, okay, uh, the open source community is quite different from you know, those closed industries. If you think about Amazon, Amazon's database team and uh, whatever storage team and uh, their product selling team, they, they all fund, they are all under the same organization. They are all under Amazon. Okay, so they can coordinate their responsibility. Okay, you could say who is responsible for fix the correctness issues caused by request solution. They, they can coordinate that. But in open source community, it's very different, right? So the database provider and the database application are two separate organizations, okay? Uh, if you use MySQL, right? So MySQL now belongs to Oracle, but it used to be open source, right? Postgres, right? So, uh, and for those people who use them, they are in different organizations from the creator of the database, okay? So so now the question is that, let, let's say, if I'm a user of a MySQL, okay, let's say I, I, I write a program or I use some online shopping software on it, and I find uh, my software oversells, okay? So am I going to fix my problem in my way or am I going to you know, blame MySQL or blame those who provided the you know, shopping software, okay? So uh, that's why the, the, the story in open source community might be very different, but that's our guess, but that's from our observation, okay? So that's why we're particularly interested to see what happens uh, in a in industry, like in Microsoft and Oracle, because the, 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 or in Amazon, the, the equation there might be very different. Okay, but uh, let's go back to the question: How do they fix it? So, the first answer is that in open source community, people are not very happy with business solution. They want a technical solution to to fix the issues. Again, it's not a new problem. So, the database community have, I would say, are aware of these issues, so they provide some help for that. So, one. Specific semantic is called a select for update. Okay, basically, as we said, if you do select and update, 
uh, and you do it on, on the read committed, then the database may execute the selection in parallel. Okay, now select for update is designed to prevent this case. If you if you say I, I declare a select uh, with additional keywords for update, then the database knows that okay, so I'm doing going to do update after the select. So I should not execute uh, you know two of those selects in parallel. Okay, I should just treat the select as some kind of update. So if you imagine this, uh, this is a exact solution designed to address the the problem we have just discussed. Okay, and actually in our study we have searched for this keyword for update keyword specifically. So our study is a little bit biased to for update, but despite such bias, uh, among the 93 issues, only 22 of them use this solution. Okay, so a small percentage of them use this solution. Okay, so and if we look at all the other solutions, all of them are very diverse. Okay, so for example. Some of them decide to just add a lock. Okay, saying maybe I do select, I do I could lock before select and could unlock after doing update. Okay, but in databases, this is not very simple because uh, you know a database is distributed and your web server might also be distributed, so you cannot just use a piece lock or, or Java synchronized, right? So some of them actually use an external locking service like uh, Redis. Okay, so you need to grab a lock in the service, then you need to send a locking request to Redis before executing the transaction and release the lock afterwards. Okay, so this is called a additional locking in our paper. Now, some people that even do it in a more you know crazy way, they, they implement. Uh, if you are familiar with database concurrency control, you probably have heard about optimistic concurrency control called OCC. So what they do is that they don't use a lock; they they add a version. To each row, okay. Then at the end of the transaction, they check uh, whether your version matches. I don't want to go into the detail, but uh, that's another way to do comparison control in databases. But traditionally, this is implemented by the database itself. But now we find at least eight issues. In eight issues, the developers implement them by themselves in the application layer. So basically, for their table, they add a column called uh, version. Okay, and uh, when they do the select, they read the version, and then when they do the update, uh, they, they put the version in that column, and then at the end, they check the versions are matched. So basically, they re-implement OCC by themselves. Okay, so then the question is, what are we doing? Right, those are supposed to be the job of database, not supposed to be the job of uh, you know developers. Okay, and uh, there are many other answers. For example, some of them say. Okay, no, let's give up concurrency. Okay, I just execute those transactions in serial order. Okay, so for conflicting transactions, I just execute them in serial order. Okay, the uh, one thing particular is that actually one original question we want to ask is that why are people not willing to use the serializable? Okay, uh, we find that uh, only one of the cases decided to use serializable ultimately. Okay, so they said, okay, let's upgrade to serializable. Okay, six other issues decided to upgrade isolation level to some extent, but altogether, only seven issues. In seven issues, people decide that uh, okay, using a stronger isolation level is the solution. In all the other cases, they move to other solutions. So in short, the solutions are or the fixes are very ad hoc and very diversified, uh, and some of them are very complicated. Okay. So that's why we raised our original question. So, do we really is database really able to handle everything by itself, or 
do we want to push the responsibility to the developer? And uh, if we push, if we really want to do the push, then can we make their job easier? Okay, instead of re-implementing OCC just at the application level. Yeah, there are a few other categories. So if you are interested, still encourage you to read the paper. Sure. I find that absolutely wild that well, there's two things that jumped out there. First of all, like the people basically re-implement RCC is is crazy. To, it feels like such a, a wild solution to the problem, and then that they they use an additional like locking servers as well. Like it's crazy that the that some people like reach for that um, like that sort of solution that a database should provide for you. In my opinion, anyway. Um, right. So it's really interesting to see that, and it kind of the additional locking feels like massive overkill almost. To, um, but anyway, that's really interesting. That's what the kind of solutions that people reach for with these sort of problems. Um, that's cool. So you touched on it a little bit there about like how how these findings helped answer your your question you asked prior to the study. So maybe you could elaborate on that a little bit and sort of like look back on the questions you you asked and how right. now that okay. you can answer them now you had this new knowledge. Okay. Okay. So. So here I just list a few questions people have asked in the past. So we're not the first one. So first question we have discussed. Okay, so do weekly isolation levels really cause any issues? Okay, because you know people's guess is that maybe you don't have a high contention level, so maybe that's fine. So our quick answer is uh, yes, they still cause issues. Uh, our guess is that uh, maybe that's a burst of traffic to some extent. Okay, despite that. Uh, the, the, the application does not seem to have a sustained high support, okay? Uh, so the second question is, uh, how much effort does it require to handle those uh, correctness issues caused by weak isolation? Our quick answer is, uh, it's a lot, okay? So our general finding is that it's not hard to, to diagnose or reproduce the problem. So this is uh, quite different from traditional bug you know, detection. Usually it's, uh, you know, it's hard to diagnose the bug, but after you know the reason, it's, it's easy to fix that, okay? But here's the opposite, okay? It's uh, pretty easy to diagnose or even reproduce them because as we said, the pattern is pretty straightforward. Most of the issues are caused by read followed by a write, okay? But uh, fixing them uh, is a lot of harder, okay? That, that's why, again, we raise our question. So the problem there is that, you know, databases may still work under the assumption that, uh, you know, we handle everything about uh, comparison control. But in reality, it is not. But when it is not, it also doesn't provide additional support for the developers to to, to customize the comparison control. That's why they, they have to rely on additional locking, uh, implement OCC by themselves. Uh, so it, to me, it seems that this gap basically Database wants to do everything, but actually it does not do everything. Basically, this gap makes comparison control even harder uh, than, you know, just give everything to the developer. Let's say, I don't do anything, just uh, you do locking for everything, okay. Now things become even harder than that to some extent. That's why, okay, so the short answer to how much effort does it require is that it requires a lot of effort to fix issues, okay. Because uh, some of them, even need to rely on external systems, and some of them even need to rely on multiple external services. Okay, okay. So the last question, uh, actually, that's the most interesting question. We are interested in is, uh, why people are not using serializable. Why are they not even using select for update? Right. So select for update, if you think about it, it's uh, somewhat uh, similar to the idea of serializable. Basically, you you hold a log for longer time. Right. So for sure. So uh, I think in the past, people believe, or at least the uh, 
my feeling is that serializable databases are not going to provide enough throughput compared to weak isolation levels. Okay, which is true. But uh, the problem for the open source community is that, as we said, most of them don't require a sustained high throughput. Okay, so throughput probably is not the major concern here. Okay. So we carefully go through the discussions to see if people are discussing those things. Most of the people don't discuss those. But for from a few discussions, we find there's a general concern about the locking. So basically, if you use a serializable database, uh, the database will hold the lock, especially the hold the write lock, for longer time compared to really committed snapshot isolation or even using no transactions. So this leads to a longer locking time. Uh, this also leads to a higher chance of deadlocks. Okay. Now, uh, in today's database, I think uh, to detect deadlocks, most of them use a simple strategy, like uh, you set a timeout. Okay, saying if the transaction does not return in a minute, okay, let's kill it and retry. Okay. Uh, in one discussion, we find that uh, people are really struggling to set uh, the right timeout interval for deadlock detection. Okay, so if you set it too short, then a heavy transaction will always be killed. Right? If you set it to be one second, right? If a transaction takes ten seconds, it will always get killed. Uh, if you set it to be long, like an hour, then uh, you know it will slow down your recovery. Right? So if a transaction really gets into a deadlock, then you will have to wait for one hour for it to finish. Okay, so. So I'm quoting some of the comments here. Let's see. Okay. That's a quote from one developer, which I totally agree. So it is a poor approach to architect a software based on guessing deadlock timeouts. Okay. So actually, personally, doing my research, I've met the same problem in many other fields. Okay. I've seen many other problems. So basically, our answer to why serializable or why select, why not select for update is that they may introduce longer locking. Uh, they may introduce a higher chance of deadlocks. And uh, if we just use timeout to detect deadlocks, and uh, people find it's a pain to set up the right timeout interval. And uh, as a result, some of them are even willing to go to all those you know, complicated and ad hoc solutions. Okay. But again, this is just from limited, probably four or five comments. Okay. So those, I mean, if you have any answers, we are... If the audience have any answers, uh, we are very happy for for the discussion. Cool, great stuff. Um, it's mad that um, it all like just because of being kind of it's difficult to determine what the optimal timeout lock timeout should be. That it, it drives people to use these sort of what seem to be sort of extreme solutions. Almost, it's really interesting to see that's what people people do. So, I guess kind of building off of this, like what can we do then? So. What, what can we do as, as, I guess, as researchers and also what can software developers do to, to make this problem better, right? So to alleviate the problems associated with, with concurrency bugs. Okay, so that's a question uh, we discussed in the video. But I mean, honestly, we don't know the absolute right answer. Okay, so that's why we are writing this, uh, you know, side of paper is usually motivate, uh, you know, more discussions. Okay, yeah. so, but those are, here I'm listing my, uh, our opinions, okay? So in the short term, let's say if you don't want to do anything crazy that uh, needs uh, like a three to five years, uh, I think first, uh, among, between the two most popular isolation levels, snapshot isolation and read committed, I think a snapshot isolation provide much better correctness guarantees, which again, is probably not surprising, okay? People know it's stronger. 
Okay, so actually snapshot isolation will remove, uh, I think, a majority of the issues uh, during our study. Okay, and uh, another major help is from those databases which provide some kind of they call it a, a unique IDs. Uh, basically, you can declare one row as unique, and uh, the database will help you to generate some unique IDs or incremental IDs. Okay. So this will remove this feature will remove most of the, 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 the same ID problem we have discussed. So I think by combining snapshot isolation and this unique IDs features from databases, we can address uh, most of the issues. Okay, so uh, during our study, okay, but whether snapshot isolation database will cause more issues, okay, we don't know yet. Okay, but at least uh, that's the result from our study. Okay. The, from the research side, uh, so we discuss in two directions. So first, could we push all the responsibility to the database? Is it possible to inter improve the database design so that uh, you know, it can be serializable, it doesn't have any of the issues you know, reported by different developers? Okay, uh, we, as I said, we don't know the exact answer. We discussed uh, a few possible ways to improve it, but at least if you ask my personal feeling, my personal feeling is that it's not going to be able to handle everything, okay? Because there are always uh, knowledge that uh, only a human being knows, okay? For example, a typical example is that, okay, some developer may say, okay, one of my transactions doesn't need a serializable result, okay? It says, you know, I read some statistics. I'm fine with some errors, okay? Uh, those kind of things are really hard to be figured out by the database, by itself, right? So, uh, so my opinion is that some kind of developer's help is going to be useful. Okay, although AI is popular today, you know, we cannot expect uh, you know what AI can do. Maybe in ten years, maybe if we have a very smart AI, then maybe we can do the job fully by the machine. But so far, that's my opinion. So then, the last question is, uh, uh, you know, if we need users' help. Okay, so how can we do that? You know, we don't want a user to implement OCC by himself, right? So that sounds like ridiculous. So is there a better way so that uh, the database can expose something to the developer? And for example, it can, if you use locking, it may expose locking to the developer to some, to some extent. I know some databases can already do that, okay? If we are using a versioning database, can we provide the versioning versions to the user so that it can have some control by himself, okay? So that's the last question we have discussed. Again, we don't have the concrete answer, but I, I personally think that's a, that's a direction to explore. Nice, plenty of, plenty of uh, interesting directions for us to explore then. Um, that really sort of, I guess, sets the scene for the, for the for your future research, right? So maybe we can, we can, maybe we can touch on, I guess, where, where, do you, where do you go next and what's next on your recent research agenda with this work? Uh, so I think we are going into both directions. So we are seeing whether we can develop any automatic analysis method to help people you know, figure out what could go wrong if you're using a weak isolation level and maybe automatically fix some of them, okay? Uh, and also we are thinking about, uh, you know, how to, so what are the right, what is the right abstraction between the database comparison control and the user? Should we expose anything? You know, what to expose? Uh, but the challenging part is that if you expose something, maybe it will break other things, right? Your database also have this nice, uh, you know, rollback support, you know, atomicity support. 
uh, if you expose, you know, locking to users, uh, those properties may easily be broken. Okay, so right. So how to expose something with a new abstraction without breaking existing things? Uh, I think that's a challenging question. You know, we're thinking of. Okay. Nice, cool. So I, I get that. That yeah, really interesting direction. That'd be really nice to see kind of your future work on that. I guess I think you alluded to this a little bit earlier on in the in the chat as well, but. I'd love to like kind of get your thoughts on what was the, maybe the most unexpected thing that you sort of encountered while um, working on yeah, this. Yeah, the most unexpected things is that I have been working on a serializable database for my undergraduate until the end of my PhD, but then when I realized that most people are not using it, <laughs> so that's the most unexpected. <laughs> that's wild, yeah. You think, what the heck have I been doing for all these years, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool um i i'd like to like get a little bit more about the the origin story about this paper as well and so i mean like from your initial sort of conception of the idea um i guess first of all can we say how did this idea come about and then also tell me a little bit more about the journey from sort of the idea to now and to the to the side of publication right that, that just goes back to my answer right so i, I have been yeah. even my colleagues uh we collaborate on you know serializable databases for a while Okay, but then we see those studies. After we see the studies, we look at the real applications by ourselves, right? We look at the source code, yeah. Many of them are not using serializable databases, okay? So so why? Okay, so if there's a reason we can address, that could be a nice research, okay? Uh, if there's some fundamental reason we cannot address, then it could motivate the research in the other direction, right? So, yeah, that motivates uh, this work and uh, potentially all the future works uh, follow up. Okay. Amazing. That's really cool. I mean, I, whilst, whilst, whilst we've, uh, we've got you here, is, can you tell us maybe a little bit more about your, your other research? I mean, I don't know whether you'd be able to elaborate on what you're working on, obviously, at Meta at the moment, but maybe in, in your wider sort of research, what are you, what are you looking into at the moment? So, uh, as I said, I'm a, a sabbatical at Meta. Okay, so here, instead of doing real research, I think I'm, I'm in the learning phase now. I'm trying to learn, you know, what, uh, you know, industry really cares about, okay? Uh, so in the last uh, half a year, I mainly work on software deployment. Basically, you know, uh, they have a new version. Let's say they have new versions almost every day, okay? So their old version is already deployed to, you know, millions of machines. You know, how, how do you deploy the new version? Especially, you don't want to, you know, stop all your service and then do upgrade, right? So... Uh, that's a topic uh, I worked on last year. You know, this year I'm working on something related to scheduling AI training jobs. Okay, uh, which is a pretty hot and new topic listed. Well, I wouldn't say it's new, but it's a, it's a hot topic. This year. Okay, uh, in my universities, as I said, we still have some follow-up works for transaction processing. Uh, and in the meantime, I'm also interested to see how to. Know, apply some of the new AI techniques to help the design of the system. Amazing, amazing stuff. Do you find that sort of having the experience of being in in industry to versus being in sort of an, an academic sort of um, uh, environment that the things that academics think are important differ or diverge from what industry thinks is important in terms of what needs research? You know, do you feel like they're quite aligned? Oh, that's a very big question. So first, uh, mm. that's a big difference for sure. Okay, that's a big mm. difference. So uh, they're different in many different ways. Okay, so first you could say 
research is usually ahead of industry by maybe 10 years. So uh, basically you would say, you know, many problems have been discussed in research papers uh, you know, several years ago, but they have not been applied in industry. It's not because they are not good ideas. I mean, I talk to some people, people think they are good ideas, but they just don't have the time to to do that yet or explore that yet, okay? So uh, research is ahead of that. So, okay, so that's one difference. Uh, the other difference is that uh, there are many more constraints in industry, okay? So whether your research can be applied. For example, like uh, in our research, we sometimes to do program language analysis, right? So we analyze your code to see whether there's a bug or whatever, okay? In Meta, for example, okay, so not everyone is using the same program language. You use Python, Java, PHP, whatever. You could have like a 10 very different languages. Okay, so if we want to do program language analysis, then we need to implement it for 10 very different languages. Okay, uh, that's a job, you know, that's very hard. Yeah, it's like do, a nightmare. Right? <laughs> so there are, yeah, there are a lot of additional constraints there. Also, uh, industry is much more careful about overhead, right? If you write a research prototype, say 5% overhead, uh, that's pretty good, okay? No here. If it's <laughs> over 5, it will be rejected directly, okay? So so there are many differences. I think, uh, yeah, probably don't have time to go through all of them today, but those are the yeah. major in my mind, okay? That's really cool. That's really cool. I mean, uh, I guess sort of along the same sort of similar sort of line is, I mean, how, how do you approach sort of determining it, te- determining what is worth working on and like sort of generating ideas, I guess, right? Like how do you determine this is the thing that needs working on? Like what's your process for that? Okay. So first to be honest, I, I was often wrong. Okay. So, <laughs> so there are multiple topics I pursued in the past, which turns out to be, you know, uh, not so good. Okay. Uh, I don't think there's a unified answer to that. Okay, so what do we learn is that uh, we usually learn by, you know, reading other people's publications, okay, and discussing with other people, uh, both in industry and academia, uh, so that uh, we can see what are the important problems, okay. Then we will choose based on, uh, based on my interest, okay. So, of course, I cannot work on everything, so... Uh, I will choose those topics based on my interest and expertise. I think uh, that's how I usually work on or find topics or whatever. Okay, uh, but again, as I said, I'm often wrong. So <laughs> <laughs> no, that's cool. That's a great answer. That's a great answer. Um, I guess yes. Like we, we, we like we, we've also we've mentioned this um, uh, at various points through the interview, but. I mean, what what do you think is the, the the biggest maybe challenge in database research right now, or in or in distributed systems even maybe, or just sort of in our sort of field in general? Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah, that's a question probably too big for me to answer, but I, I will try my best. Okay. Yeah, speculate. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> okay. So regarding what problems I think are interesting or important for database, so one thing I find is new applications in short, okay? So again, if we go back to the history a little bit, okay? So in the old days, there's only databases. Everyone's using database, okay? Then starting maybe from Amazon Dynamo, there's a trend called NoSQL. Basically, it says you have a very simple application like a key value store, okay? So then let's just build a key value store with a key value store interface. We don't need a you know full transactional 
database for that. It gives you a better performance, but of course you lose other things. There's some controversial about uh, you know, which way to go. But I think that in this few days, we have seen many more applications, like uh, you're familiar with like a graph database, uh, analytics database, okay, and uh, time series database, and also array database. Okay, I have worked on some of them. So I think the big question here is that do we still want to put everything under the hood of database okay, and analyze everything with some kind of a SQL transactions? Or do we want to build some specialized systems for them? Okay. So a specialized system usually gives you better performance, lower cost. But, you know, still, many people still prefer to store everything in database because it's mature, it gives you an easy query interface, and everyone is familiar with SQL. Okay. Uh, I mean, I don't know the answer. I, I, I see research in both fields. So I think the question I'm interested in is to say which way is the right way to go. So should we still put everything on the SQL database or should we build a you know, specific system for, for, for each application? Okay. Uh, that's one question I found interesting. Uh, the other one, which I'm not very familiar with, but I see a lot of work on that, is uh, how can database handle this, what do we call it? disaggregated mode, okay? So in the old days, your CPUs, your memories, your storage on one machine, so everything's close to each other. But now, industry, there's a trend saying, uh, let's say you put all your memory on the remote machines, okay? And you also put your storage on another set of remote machines. This gives you a lot of flexibility for resource provision. Of course, you have a longer latency, okay? So can you design your database efficiently uh, on such a mode, okay. So that's another question I find interesting, although personally I haven't worked on this field yet. Okay. Cool, yeah. We should uh, check back in in like five years, right, and see if these, yes. uh, see if these predictions are like questions have sort of come to, come to fruition. That's cool. Uh, great stuff. So it's, it's time for the, the last word now. So um, what's the one thing you want the listener to take away from this podcast today and from your research? I would say if you're a database user and you have not heard about the weak isolation levels, you should definitely try, okay? Okay, uh, 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 Yeah, we actually, I actually did some informal survey in the department, okay? Yeah. So just in the class, okay, ask a student, how many people have heard about isolation level? Most of the answer is no. And, uh, and uh, imagine those are the people that are going to go to industry and, uh, you know, use databases, uh, that's a pretty risky scenario, in my opinion. So, uh, so I'm trying to incorporate those contents in the in the courses, but uh, so far it's only done at the graduate course level, graduate operating system course, yeah. and database course level. Uh, but yeah, I, I just think it's a problem. It's a problem since you know weak isolation levels are so popular, but most of people who are using that are probably not even aware of, of that. Yeah. That's a warning sign, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Especially, I guess, as uh, a lot of the most popular systems ship with the default isolation of them set to a weak one, right? right like, right, I mean, right, most right. systems ship with, with read committed, yes. right? I think. Yeah, yes. so, yeah, no, that's a really, it's a really, really good point. And hopefully, the listeners uh, take a note and now more people know about weak isolation. So, fantastic, Yang. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. It was a great, great conversation. And we'll drop links to all the relevant materials we've discussed throughout the episode in, in the show notes so the listeners can go and um, go and check those out. And yeah, thanks very much. And we'll see you all again for some more awesome computer science research.